Hi, um, I'm going to be using my WordPress blog for my poems since nobody gets on the Wattpad app. Um, and I'm going to be using this for my critiques. I'm converting my critique posts to audio. This one talks about Jacques Derrida's deconstructionism of different ideas and how they make a very complicated discussion. Everything is focused on meta-theories with him. Speaking of Jacques and all my V alliteration in the introduction, the band Virgin and Veil finally broke up. Derrida thinks Freud's ideas were interesting, but that they did not even begin to cover the true meta-analysis of what would happen with digital humanities and expanding technology for recording information. There's a hyperlink attached to this, and I'm going to try and figure out how to attach that to this podcast. So be sure to check in the description, or if I can attach a little video with the link, I'll do that. The limits of our memory, especially with relying on technology to be our main resource, will be expanded, but it can also make limits more complicated and make our memory not as efficient. Derrida draws information from Freud to make the point that the archive draws on from not only the past and what has been archived, but also references the archivable future. The archive deals with commencement and commandment and having a place or taking a place. Taking a place seems much like taking ideas from somewhere while having one's own place inside their mind. Or the technology that controls the archive can involve having a place that's one place and taking a place from someone's memory or previous productions. We discuss the death drive, the pleasure principle, and the reality principle. As humans, we sometimes try to convince ourselves that anything we are doing is not worthwhile because someone else has done it before, and the need for it has already been explicated upon. However, Sometimes we also think maybe there is no need for our input anyway or anywhere, and we merely have a wild imagination full of radical theories. The reality principle relates to the ego, and the pleasure principle relates to the id. The ego develops out of the id, though, and the ego is supposed to lower tension that is felt as discomfort by searching for pleasure. Everything is all connected to pleasure at the end. We might say that the ego stands for reason and good sense, while the id stands for the untamed passion. Freud, in 1933. Citation. Other psychoanalysts can point out the connection with the death drive, such as the superego is like a secret police department, unerringly detecting any trends of forbidden impulses, particularly of an aggressive kind, and punishing the individual inexorably if any are present. Quoted from Horny, 1939. Um, that reminds me. I also have an article about vampires. And most of this blog will become about vampires. I want to talk about how police and race and vampires all tie into each other and how this idea of being um, a monster has been fetishized and a lot of cops fetishize themselves just like vampires have become like the ultimate erotic, romantic 
goal for people. Freud mentions that the death drive is not a real principle, but it almost seems to be when we mind trick ourselves. It is an invincible necessity. The pleasure principle is our need to feel pleasure, such as with sex or food consumption. I also found it very interesting that Freud used a religious metaphor to explain that evil and rebellion, the death drive, can justify a reason for goodness, such as God, to be an exterior. If one is actually partaking and trying to display ideas slash ideals, even when it seems meaningless, Freud mentions that he might be wasting his pen and ink, and there is probably some sort of sexual connotation. After all, Freud is known for interpreting everything as having a sexual causation. There are a lot of limits of what Freud saw in his psychoanalysis, and the magic gold mystical pad could not even begin to explain all of the computer technology we have now. It may seem meaningless to record what we have to say, because in a lot of ways the technology controls us and cannot perfectly emulate what we think. When we type something out or print something, it is never our exact memories, and it produces as much as it records. The archival apparatus censors it in ways that we cannot control. We cannot possibly know all that has happened that was never recorded, and we cannot possibly know what the future held, much like Freud and Derrida could not have known. Derrida even goes so far to compare finding some of Freud's works to archaeological digs. There would never be a need to record anything if our memory was perfect. Derrida says there is no archive fever without the simultaneous death drive and archive drive. I believe, and I think Derrida agrees, that Freud underestimated how important it is to repeat information. Even if someone has an idea already, there is nothing wrong with supporting it and expanding upon it since memories and technology are not perfect. Especially with modern arts, regardless of the medium, art has been expressive in many unique ways. The mystical magical pad might analyze, might analyze and display more of the critical side of thinking, but obviously it can be done artistically as well. Where do art and critique meet? We could talk about Roland Barthes and his idea of ideology, but I'm going to keep talking about Freud for now. Though I disagree with some of Freud's earlier ideas in psychoanalysis revolving around the Oedipus complex and early sexual unconsciousness and development, I believe all of his ideas have been revolutionary, if just misphrased. Apparently, literature has benefited from Freudian psychology as much as the rest of the educational world has, including history, sociology, and more. In The Uncanny, sex was still an important matter of Freud's discussion. The Uncanny was described as revolving around the castration complex or the memory of intrauterine existence. The word has multiple meanings and is synonymous with the antonym of Heimlich. 
but Freud thought most of the meanings explained examples of a strange fear enveloping aesthetic. I am not sure if I agree with the implication that revolves around sexual memories. However, I completely agree that aesthetics should represent any type of feeling that someone can show, and furthermore, the diversity shown in art. Art should not always be lovely because the world is not lovely. Art best encapsulates parts of the world or escapes from the world, which can also be an escape from the beauty of the world. Fear and disgust might not be aesthetically pleasing, and the art that consists of these emotions might not sell as well as beautiful art aesthetics, but true art aficionados will understand the message and be more likely to buy the art. In art specifically, the uncanny becomes more of an ambiguous word. One of the biggest reasons something might be uncanny in art or literature would be the uncertainty of if an object is inanimate or not. I will talk more about animacies and humanism later. In real life, uncanny situations are more likely to occur, but in literature it is difficult to portray uncanny feelings, since the uncanny is an unusual surprise that makes one feel weird instances of unfamiliarity. The magic mystical pad could also be a representation of real life, such as a journal. One that you talk about your own feelings in and see if people want to listen. Freud brings up how uncanny feelings related to the castration complex or infantile anxiety keep their credibility in stories more than in critique or a realistic writing. It is difficult to portray uncanniness in art, though, because sometimes the focus will be on the uncanny and it will be easy to foreshadow. When the focus is on the character's feelings of uncanniness rather than expecting another character or object to be uncanny, we are more likely to feel uncanny while reading the art. For example, when a character's arm is cut off, the experience can be much like testicles being cut in the castration complex or the head of a female. When someone witnesses or experiences the return of a dead person or isolation, such as in the womb fantasy and infantile anxiety, uncanniness in stories is more likely to occur. Uncanniness in art and in a realistic situation, such as a life retelling, is best explained in Freud's critical essay that explains how fear and disgust project from uncanniness and are aesthetically important for the diversity of the arts.